Welcome back to That Gay Shit. I'm Will Viridian, and I'm here with Cecile Mullaney. Uh, she's joining Hello. us again. She's a mental health and addictions expert. And a fan favorite. Yeah, and fan record, favorite. <laughs> record number guest. Thank you so, so much for having me back. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you back. It's been so long. So long. The week, oh, just took so long to go by. It, <laughs> it really did. Weeks do, as they do. So I got my coffee here. I know you got Me your too. wine. So I got my wine, aka, yeah, no, it's wine. My <laughs> adult coffee, coffee, aka wine. My adult Chardonnay coffee. Chardonnay flavored coffee. <laughs> that makes you sleepy. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Sometimes after a few. I need to set up my, what's it called? The pop filter on my mic. Cause I listened to our episode and you, I really hit those P's and the B's real hard. So I didn't get it set up today. Maybe next time if I'm lucky enough to be on the old show skis. I just took mine off because it made this really weird wobbling sound. I think it kept touching the microphone. So hard P's are better That's than warbling sounds. Yeah. Just whoa, 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 whoa. The entire time. <laughs> so this is going to be the two-parter on uh, the mental health and kind of addictions issues in the LGBT community, uh, specifically the gay community. There are very heavy mental illness uh, issues all across the LGBT community. However, there are some very strong mental health and addictions issues just amongst the gay community itself. This is going to be a two-parter. There are three articles I have here that fork that forkus <laughs> that focus that more. That forkus. Are you yes. sure you're not drinking wine? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> that that focus on the addictions uh, stuff, and then I have several articles from the CDC under their gay and bisexual men's health tab uh, that we'll go over in part two. So part one is going to be the first three articles, and then part two is going to be the CDC. Uh, and the CDC talks about mental health and also kind of STD stuff. So we'll talk more about that in the, the second part. Uh, so let's get into it. So this first article here is from the New York Times titled, Gay Men Are Dying From A Crisis We're Not Talking About. So just off the bat, Cecile Mullaney, what do you think this crisis is? Well, what do I think the crisis is, knowing the kind of context and the theme of what we're talking about? Uh, sure. Gay men are dying from a crisis we're not talking about. So we're talking about AIDS. I, I would say it's probably some kind of stimulant drug. So That's like a, a cocaine, a methamphetamine, uh, or the like. Yeah, that, that hits it pretty much right on the nose. The subtitle is, no one's really grappling with the meth disaster. So ding, 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 you got it Nailed it. Right. Oh my God, what have I won? Another glass of wine. <laughs> yep, another <laughs> glass of wine. You, you get right, the bottle this it. time. All right, give me a straw. <laughs> so the article is by Jim Mangia. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. And he runs a network of community health centers in LA. So this article was published January 22nd, 2020. So back when we thought World War III was going to be happening, I think. Mm -hmm. Way back when. <laughs> back before we needed masks everywhere. I'm, so I'm just going to start with reading it. It is technically considered an opinion piece, so it is written in first person. Uh, okay. But it is pretty impartial, I would say. 
Okay. Los Angeles. I came of age as a gay man uh, during the late 1980s when the AIDS epidemic was raging. I watched my friends and lovers die left and right. At the peak of the crisis, I was tending a funeral every other weekend. Elected officials Mm. all across the country turned a blind eye as tens of thousands of young people died. After a long fight for solutions, HIV is manageable today thanks to preventative medicines like PrEP, medications that reduce the viral load in HIV positive people, and a better understanding of how to manage the virus, HIV, went from an inevitable death sentence to a manageable chronic disease, but it took far too many deaths to get there. Today, the gay community is facing another crisis we're not talking about, and that elected officials are once again ignoring. Crystal methamphetamine has become a popular temptation for gay men, leading many to addiction. The drug, which can change the chemical composition of the brain in chronic users, is extremely addictive. And just like during the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s and 90s, resources are paltry, government support is virtually non-existent, and an aura of denial surrounds the crisis. Gay men are more likely to try meth than straight men. One explanation of this could be that gay men struggle with acceptance in ways straight men don't have to. Growing up gay and being forced to keep that a secret for fear of family rejection or neighborhood bullying can create huge insecurities and issues with intimacy. My best friend was rejected by his family for being gay and was beaten in the streets of his hometown in Mexico. He had to flee to the United States for refuge. As he grew older, he became more and more desperate to belong to a community. He sought out men on gay apps. He ended up falling for a handsome young man who was addicted to meth. The young man fostered my friend's addiction. The initial drug use was about acceptance and remaining relevant in an overly sexualized culture. Now, despite recent interventions by me and other people, my friend is overcome by the daily ritual of obtaining and using crystal meth. He's a different person than the one I had known for over 25 years. There are many stories like this. The truth is, using meth can create a twisted sense of camaraderie among users. Hookup apps like Grindr make finding meth, as well as men to use it with, fast and easy. Users sprinkle capital T's, referring to meth's street name, Tina, or diamond emojis throughout their bios and usernames. Meeting a stranger from the internet for the first time is stressful for anyone, especially for someone who might struggle to form deep connections. Using meth can create an instant false sense of intimacy and trust allowing a cheap escape from the problems of our daily lives. In the moment, it seems euphoric. The drug is associated with enhanced sexual pleasure after all. In reality, it's ruining countless lives. There are many underlying reasons gay men start using meth, and those reasons must be addressed. It's an an unfortunate reality that certain insidious practices and beliefs are upheld within gay male culture that put all of us in danger of adopting risky behaviors. We put intense pressure on one another to be thin, hot, and have lots of sex. Plus, while society is significantly more accepting than it was even 10 years ago, many men, many gay men still struggle with discrimination, violence, and our own internalized homophobia, which means drugs can be an escape for many. And Matthews greatly increases the risk of getting HIV and other sexually transmitted diseases. This isn't a new issue. I watched gay men suffer from meth addiction for over 20 years and it's only getting worse. One of my closest friends started using the drug a couple of years ago. Previously a successful businessman, he has now lost friends, family, and his business. He spends his days searching for meth. 10 years ago, I lost a partner to crystal addiction. He relapsed after two years of sobriety and eventually died on the street. No one in the gay community is immune to the impact of crystal meth addiction. 
If we want to continue growing as a community, we must immediately provide funding and support for gay men who are addicted. At the network <laughs> of community health centers, I lead in South Los Angeles, an overwhelming majority of patients we treat in our substance abuse programs are addicted to crystal meth. Because meth addiction disproportionately affects gay men, it hasn't risen to the level of priority and intervention of other addictions. Elected officials, gay leaders, healthcare centers, and community centers must develop funding and programming to respond to this crisis. Universities and research institutions must begin intervention studies and that can inform community-based practice. Countless gay men suffer from this crippling addiction and we cannot lose even more of our family members. It's time to talk openly about the crisis so we can organize the will and the resources we need to address it. So that was a heavy article with mm -hmm. lots of things mentioned. Yeah. So that was by Jim Mangia. Mangia? Uh, yeah, Mangia, Mangia. I'm, I'm Mangia. not really sure. Mangia. Um, yeah, from the New York, New York Times. So, I mean, yeah, that's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. So I guess I'll start by kind of talking about the, the similarities he draws to the AIDS epidemic uh, in the 1980s and 90s. So as I mentioned in the last episode, there was lots of stuff that happened in that time that pushed a lot of gay men back into the closet. But one of the big things that happened was elected officials didn't really do much about it because of how much it disproportionately affected gay men. Now, in other research I've done, I can see very strong similarities between just kind of the blatant public disregard uh, and just silence and how this isn't talked about, mentioned at all, uh, and how it compares to kind of how that HIV and AIDS were talked about back in the 80s and 90s, or I guess not talked about. Um, so of course, if I'm getting any of this wrong, feel free to, to tweet at me. Actually, please do tweet at me. I love I would love to, to know if I am wrong so I can correct myself. Uh, tweet mm -hmm. at me at that gay sh uh, Don't tweet at me because I don't like to know when I'm wrong. I just like <laughs> to live a life where I'm right all the time. Thank you. So, that, <laughs> so tweet at me at that gay sh And it's written capital T, lowercase h-a-t, capital G, lowercase a-y, capital S, lowercase h-n-t. There is no I in sh that's why yeah, we're that centered. Gay sh that gay sh there's no I in sh when you write it out. So yeah, so I'm hoping this doesn't turn into something akin to the AIDS epidemic back in the 90s and uh, 80s, or I guess the 80s and 90s. But what I can say is that this isn't even talked about in the community at all. Like I've, this is the first thing I've seen referring to anything like that's a meth disaster. Yeah. I mean, listen, again, I am not a gay man. <laughs> Shock, spoiler alert. I hope you, everybody's sitting down. Um, but I, I certainly have heard about the substance use that does occur specifically with gay men. You know, I think in like the seventies, they talked about poppers, which are like nitrates, right? And poppers are um, still very much used today. Yeah, so there is there is kind of this like subculture within within the gay community, gay men, of substance using. So it's not really surprising, um, and I don't have the stats offhand here. Like I can't do them off the dome, but I believe if I'm if I'm 
remembering correctly. Again, don't correct me, correct Will, when you tweet him. Um, but I think in general, there's just a higher rate of substance use in the LGBTQ plus community like baseline compared to like the yes. quote unquote general population. So I guess in that way, it wouldn't be that surprising. So I, I do have some statistics right here. If, if <laughs> I'll just take a second to see if I can hunt them down. Uh, so I'll, they'll come up later in an article, but I can just kind of mention some of them here and now. But I, I just think, um, yeah, it, it, this isn't necessarily surprising. What is surprising to me, well, two things. One thing is whoever was responsible for calling Meth Tina, I mean, uh, not a great name. You could have picked something better. Um, but I, I didn't realize that on Grinder that they do things like sprinkle capital T's in there or, you know, they'll say Tina or even diamond emojis. That's really interesting. I've never heard that before. Um, and like I have, I have friends who, you know, are on Grinder and talk about it and they've never really mentioned that. Not that, you know, that would maybe be the forefront of conversation. So that was, that was kind of interesting um, to hear, but that's not uncommon across the board with substance use. Anyway, there's always kind of nicknames and um, kind of ways to refer to things when you're talking about it. Like it really does take on its own language um, among users and among, among people who are like seeking out substances or the quantity that they're, they're wanting to get. Right. So instead of saying an ounce, you'd say an onion or, um, you know, if you, um, want heroin, you might say purple or something like that. Like there's little kind of languages that, that happen among, um, substance users. And I think that can even be like amplified in the, the gay community. So I, this is semi-related. So I guess I'll mention first, I can't find the, the, the source with the exact statistics, but I think it's something like um, gay men are 12 times more likely to use hero, uh, use methamphetamine, 10 times more likely to use heroin. Uh, so like they're drastically mm. far more likely. Uh, and there is really this culture around substance use in the, amongst gay men. Uh, so <laughs> what I'm going to mention is kind of related, kind of not. Um, and so it's something you may have heard of. It's called queer coding. So No, I've never heard that. So it's a term used to refer to, it's related to something else called queer baiting. Uh, so we'll give kind of a little definition of each. So queer baiting is almost okay. like the extreme version of queer coding or the intentional version of it. So okay, queer baiting I've heard that is, term, but I don't know what it means. So queer baiting is when a studio will make it seem like there's going to be a gay relationship that develops without one actually happening. And it's basically a way to get oh. uh, gay viewers to watch the show or consume the media without actually having to commit to having gay characters. Oh, So it's really, it's not a good thing to do. It's really no. a terrible thing to do. Um, and so well, you're lying. It is. It's, it's intentionally misleading. And so it can even, you get the characters, but then the relationship, you know, breaks apart or one of them dies. That's the common way the relationship breaks apart. And so there isn't actually that gay relationship there, even though you might've had a gay character. So queer baiting is similar and different. Queer baiting is when there are subtle key, like key things that people pick up that make them think a character is gay, when they aren't. So that's what queer coding is. It's people say that you can have things like black coding and whatnot, when you really can't because what queer coding is, 
is it's the authors accidentally or on purpose putting in the little kind of subtle signs that gay men used to identify each other without outing themselves. And then they just kind of put that into the show, whether on purpose or by accident. So would these be like visual cues or like, ver- like language visual, that they would verbal, use? Um, and they're like little things, like they glance at another male character that they're really close to just like a little bit too long. Like they're very, very subtle. And okay. They're essentially what give gay people their gaydar. Okay. So it is, there's subtle signs that are kind of used to, to pick up each other without, I guess, pick up's the wrong word in the sense, uh, but you know, <laughs> realize that we're gay without kind of outing ourselves to straight people around us. And I suppose, like, not in terms of Hollywood and movies and stuff, but, like, the gay community would have had to do that because you'd have to really, really safely test the waters. And, yeah. And, and uh, yeah. You, because, I mean, people would would kill you. Yeah. For la- like, there's people no other way People still do that. in other countries of the yeah. world. I'm planning to do an episode well, I mean, good Lord. Uh, on the documentary Welcome to Chechnya where they go over the... From what I can understand that over in Chechnya right now, they're having essentially a gay Holocaust. So that's insane. It it is (laughs) really, really crazy. Anyway, so back to kind of being on topic. So how this kind of relates to like that kind of substance use and making up like these little kind of cues and whatnot is that just due to kind of our like kind of, I don't want to say upbringing, but our upbringing, gay people are already kind of naturally primed to put out these kind of subtle codes and then pick up on them as well. Right. Right. It's something that we, you kind of, of had your, your own kind of gaydar amongst yourselves, mm-hmm. like your own antenna, 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 antenna to like pick up some signs to see if there's others, there's others out there. And you know, you, you would do that um, because it wasn't safe to do so openly. I, and I, I even think like back when like Christianity was back you know, 2000 years ago or whatever, plus when Christianity wasn't, was essentially illegal, right? Yeah. Um, they would have little codes or little symbols that they would have around to know that those were other Christians um, and it was safe to go in there. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Like that fish that's really common. That yeah. was one of those symbols. That's right. Yeah. Um, and hmm. kind of on a similar vein and kind of a bit more on a lighter note, Uh, prostitutes in ancient Rome way back when uh, they would carve penises on the bottom of their shoes so that (laughs) if you were looking for a prostitute, you would just kind of follow the yellow dick road. Oh, old dick shoe. (laughs) Yeah. Take it. Take a visit to old dick shoe. So that's That's all I had for that. But that's why you see kind of those, those fish markings on the, the subway grates. Um, It has to do kind of with that kind of relation of, the fish, I believe it would actually point kind of in a direction to find uh, other Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, I can say from my work is that uh, <laughs> crystal meth is a bad, bad drug. People who use it aren't bad. That's not what I'm saying. But the drug itself is is so awful. And the chemicals that go into making it is are so gross. And also, you don't really know all the time what's in there. Like they can just kind of throw whatever's under the kitchen sink in there and it can get really nasty and really bad. And it, it, it more than almost 
any other drug I've seen, it the mental health impacts, especially for like chronic users are, and this would be the same for, you know, gay men or people in the, in the LGBTQ plus community, the mental health aspect is so devastating because it really creates this kind of psychosis that people experience. And once you get into psychosis, it's really hard to get out of that. Like you can stop your using and, and it will go down. But if you use again, it doesn't seem to um, dissipate. Like once you've crossed that line and you use, every time you use, it's there and it tends to get worse. And it can then kind of transition into like schizophrenia. So you have like an official diagnosis of schizophrenia. And so you're getting things like um, delusions, which are um, beliefs you know, that aren't true. So, and oftentimes they have, you know, there's, there's kind of like a, everybody's out to get you kind of delusion. Yeah. Like, and it always seems to be, even in Canada, it always seems to be the FBI for some reason. <laughs> but I'm like, we yeah. get so much of that, like FBI in our media, right? Like we're so, so totally so much American yeah. media. Yeah. So the, like people will think the FBI, I'm like, they're not here. Maybe CSIS. They're like, who? <laughs> Nobody knows. Um, mm. so you get kind of those things or like people are out to get you. Um, you know, there's people following me or you get hallucinations, which really have to do with your senses. So seeing and hearing and, and, um, smell and touch and all that. So they'll, you know, feel maybe that things are crawling on them or they'll see things that other people can't see or hear things like voices or radios or, you know, they'll think that the neighbor is spying on them. They'll think that there's audio recording equipment in, in you know, a book, in the bookcase, yeah. so they'll take it apart. Meth is really funny, too, because you'll just, like, start taking a part of VCR. And keep in mind, it's 2020. People haven't used a VCR in, like, 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll find one, and they'll take it apart. So it's, it's such a <laughs> devastating drug. Especially for people looking for uh, VCRs. There's not going to be any left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, there's that. And um, this is on like a, a lighter side. There's a comedian, Artie Lang, who I love, who struggles with substance use and stuff. But he had a really funny line. He's like, crystal meth. Crystal meth is a great drug if you want to walk to St. Louis one night. <laughs> that's kind of, you know, you do wild shit like that. that. That kind of segues nicely into our our next um, article. Not really. Um, segues are hard. They are. <laughs> So this next article is from the AmericanAddictionCenters.org. And so the title is, Why Do Gay Men Sometimes Struggle with Substance Abuse? Oh, so this is the one that has all those stats that I was looking for. Okay. <laughs> so Great. you're going to get kind of a bunch of them. I'm going to kind of go bit by bit and we'll kind of, it. the article itself is broken up into nice chunks. So we'll kind of like take a break and kind of talk about each bit as it comes through. So there's an intro... Uh, and then there's one, two subsections, maybe a third. We'll go through these and kind of every few paragraphs stop to talk about what it was. So then we can, it, it breaks it up nicer. Research investigating prevalence rates for substance use in, or substance abuse in the LGBT community is not extensive. However, the bulk of it indicates the rate of substance abuse is estimated to be between 20% and 30% or higher in gay and transgender people compared to about 9% in the general population. The rates of al alcohol abuse in gay and transgender individuals may be as high as 25% compared to 5 to 10% in the general population. 
the use of tobacco products is significantly higher in gay individuals than heterosexuals. Some studies suggest 200% higher. Whoa. What? Yeah, 200% higher. They just like to smoke. uh, That is, uh, whoa, sorry, keep going. That just (laughs) knocked me off my feet. 200% higher. Yeah, 200% is is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right, carry on. (laughs) Gay men are far more likely to use amphetamines than heterosexual men, as much as 10 times more likely, and nearly 10 times more likely to use heroin than heterosexual men. There are most likely numerous reasons that account for the increased risk for gay men to abuse substances compared to heterosexual men. The American Psychiatric Association, the APA, and the National Institute on Drug Abuse, the NIDA, uh, list Mm -hmm. numerous risk factors associated with an increased probability to abuse drugs or alcohol. These include hereditary or genetic influences, early Mm -hmm. exposure to substances from parents or other family members, being mm-hmm. diagnosed with a mental disorder other than a substance use disorder, associating with individuals who regularly use drugs or alcohol. So this would be like peer pressure. Mm-hmm. Coming from a background of poverty, physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. These general risk factors certainly apply to gay men as well as heterosexual men. However, gay men may experience some additional risk factors that can increase the probability. They may turn to drugs or alcohol. These factors include high-level stress that is associated with social discrimination targeted at gay men, problems with the healthcare system that discourage gay men from seeking treatment for substance abuse, and marketing efforts by alcohol and tobacco companies that may exploit the connection between substance use and sexual preference. So that was kind of the introduction. So I will mention later in the article, they do say that there is minimal evidence that suggests any hereditary or genetic influence increasing the likelihood uh, for gay men to abuse uh, substances. So it is believed to be entirely, or like the cause of this far increase of substance abuse rates among gay men compared to heterosexual men has to do with kind of social factors as opposed to the genetic ones. Like, sorry, just to clarify, so um, it doesn't have to do with the genetic factors that they're gay, just other genetic factors? Yes. Or, so okay. it appears the genetic um, influence is the same, like the same as the, the general population, weird, it's like the same likelihood to cause that kind of abuse in both heterosexual and homosexual individuals. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So it's kind of like even playing field there, but it's so it's like the social issues that cause this increase of substance abuse. Which makes sense. I mean, that's, I would kind of think that. Yeah. I wouldn't Uh, think that just being gay has an increased risk, but if you are gay and you experience the environmental um, stressors that come with that or oftentimes come with that, then for sure that can increase your risk of developing a substance use disorder or a mental health disorder. Yeah. Um, So I'm just like, so just looking at like the lists that are mentioned by the APA and the NIDA uh, or NIDA, whichever it's supposed to be. I like, okay, NIDA. Okay. Yeah. Being diagnosed. Okay. So the physical, emotional, or sexual abuse one, the first thing that makes me think of is, um, so either physical abuse towards LGBT individuals, emotional abuse, uh, and sexual abuse, which all can happen to them. Uh, and then happen at increased risks for having, you know, non-acceptant parents, 
except mm-hmm. for maybe, I guess, sexual abuse. Um, I'm not sure on that one, but you know, physical and emotional are higher as well as physical and emotional stresses that can come from if you're kicked out of the house. Yeah. But what really makes me think of sexual abuse is conversion therapy, which is, as I mentioned before, <laughs> was re-legalized down in Florida. Oh, Florida. Re-legalized, meaning it's yeah. legal. And you heard it here first. It is December 5th on this night of recording yes. of 2020. And conversion therapy is legal in Florida, the great not, state of Florida. Not just also, legal. It was legal. Then it was illegal. And now it's legal again. They say, you know what we're missing in this Florida? We have alligators. We have incredible amounts of cocaine. Let's also re-legalize conversion therapy. Or also, as I like to call it, sexual, emotional, and physical abuse for LGBT youth, because that's what it is. It's a psychosexual <laughs> torture designed to make them be repulsed by their own sexuality. I mean, you're true, but you're going to have to work on that name. It's too long. Um, also, <laughs> this bears mentioning, Florida is also chock full of Scientologists. So that's the, the climate in which we're working at. I just, I hope a hurricane takes them all out. God bless Florida. I wish you well. Just, yeah, have a quick Leave Orlando. And also Miami. I mean, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the Keys. You know, really, it's kind of the central and top. The stuff yeah. that kind of is a little bit too close to the deep south. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's get it out of there. Yeah. Uh, so I, when I first read this article, the sheer volume of like how much more uh, likely LGBT or I guess gay men are to use certain substances when compared to their heterosexual counterparts kind of blew me away. Yeah. Like looking at the alcohol abuse, it can be as high as five times more likely, which is crazy. I mean, yeah. And I wonder, like, I always ponder if we had to, if we had these kind of like quality stats 60 years ago compared to now, and then 60 years into the future, what that would look like. Cause I wonder if yeah. that would be even higher 60 years ago when there was zero acceptance. And then I, I hope that in 60 years when there's, you know, more acceptance, it's going to go down, you know? Yeah. That the overall trend is down. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that people um, experience it today. It's, it's just, and I think it is a lot of like environmental stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it also is in part of like the very over sexualization and very like adult form of the, the community. It's very not kid friendly. And I will say this as a, a gay man, like a minor uh, gay man, I'm 17. Like, I don't like how there aren't like gay bookstores or gay coffee shops or whatnot. Instead, it's all gay bars or other oh, adult true. venues. And it's yeah. very sexualized. And I think that it's very inherently harmful. I understand mm-hmm. why it's very sexualized because the whole sexuality was very like oppressed and kind of people had to repress it. So it's great to celebrate it. But I think it does cause this very self-destructive cyclical nature, I guess, within the community that just harms everyone. Because- yeah. These are the meeting spots. So then young gay people coming in are then 
well, they go to these meeting spots because this is where the gay people are. So then kind of when the next generation comes in, this, you know, this generation keeps staying at these meeting spots because just that's where they are. So then the next generation comes into these meeting spots and it just kind of keeps going where they just keep staying in these bars and strip clubs because that's where the meeting spots were back when there was no acceptance and bars could be like well hidden and whatnot. Yeah. But we don't need that now. Like now we can have coffee shops and bookstores and and more healthy environments. Well, just like, yeah, just expand, not that you can't have that, but expand to other things. Cause it's like you, you, like you said, it was really oppressed. And so it's like, we've done this huge pendulum swing to the other side um, and now we need to kind of even out somewhere in the middle, you know, yes. that it's yeah. not so extreme on either side, just something kind of down the middle. And also, yeah. because this is going to be my thing now, whenever I'm, um, that you're, whenever you're kind enough to, to invite me on, um, I'm going to do a Parks and Rec, uh, reference yeah. the best gay bar name. Do you remember the gay bar in Parks and Rec? Oh, geez. I can't remember it. The Bulge. <laughs> oh yeah. The bulge. Yeah. And so when, like, as a, uh, what's that called? A callback to last episode when we talk about the gay penguins and Leslie Nope married, um, she didn't know they were two men, penguins, two male penguins. She married them. She, the bulge and the patrons of the bulge thought that she was like the best in the world. And so she had her. And then she was a DJ and she played Lady Gaga. Yes. Um, I was thinking of something <laughs> off topic. Well, oh, that's, that's I- what we're here for off topic and fun. <laughs> um, I want to say something too, just about like genetics. We, we touched on that earlier. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I don't think it's just that, you know, if you are gay genetically, that that comes with its own sort of, Hey, you're going to be a higher likelihood to use substances. I think it's the environment like we're talking about. However, there are genetic traits or genetic things that people can have that would increase the risk of them engaging in substance use. So if somebody is genetically predisposed to say impulsivity, or um, if they have like a stress or anxiety or um, kind of a sensitivity to those kind of negative emotions where they don't they really struggle to develop coping to those things like to anxiety, then I think those kind of genetic influences, those kind of genetic predispositions can increase the risk uh, of developing that. And you just, if you just so happen to be, you know, a, a gay man or person or whatever, you know, you, you could still have that, those, right. You can have a genetic predisposition to being impulsive, meaning, you know, you, you just really don't have a filter. Like you think of something and then you just do it. So that, that just affects everyone and is. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's, yeah, it's not good. You really have to look at it from like a, truly a holistic standpoint of like your biopsychosocial plus, like yeah. even your social and spiritual piece. There's, um, there's an FBI, a former, a former FBI, I guess he was an analyst, Jim Clemente. I don't know if you've heard of him. He has a really cool podcast called um, Real crime profile where him and Laura Richards and um, another woman who works in criminal minds, they have, they kind of take on like pop culture, say documentaries or things like that. And they'll, um, he'll kind of analyze them and she will. Anyway, he has this really cool and it's a very good kind of analogy to this when it comes to um, how genetics and like personality and environment, um, intertwine 
Yeah. So he gives the analogy of a gun and he says, you know, genetics, genetics load the gun, personality points the gun and the environment shoots the trigger. So you can't have sort of the, the bullet going out of the gun without the combination of those three things yeah. together. So I, I really like that. I think that's a really good um, analogy, or I guess metaphor, not analogy, but metaphor to how all of this stuff works together. Yeah. Um, and just, uh, just to kind of to finish up on the, the sexualization before moving on to the, the first mm-hmm. subheading of increased stress, um, like the major, if you look at like the two kind of major dating apps, uh, being Tinder for um, straight people, although there is, it can be there for gay people and Grinder for gay people. You say you're going to, you know, a Tinder date, you have a Grinder hookup. So there, there is no dating on Grinder. It's entirely built for hooking up. It's not built to, to form meaningful relationships. It's meant for quick um, hookups. Is it strictly for men? Uh, yes. Like gay men? Yeah. Okay. So there's no, like, there's no lesbians on that. That is like 100% gay men. 100% gay men. Um, okay. And it's, it's very well known for just doing hookups and people either having no profile photo or if they do have a profile yeah. photo it's of their abs and then it's like the neck first interaction down. is a dick pic being sent right it is it's very superficial um, mm-hmm. because there is that pressure to be you know having lots of sex and being hot and being thin there are major body image issues that yeah yeah in any other article but there are lots of lots of body image issues uh, like you could be healthy weight and even on like the slimmer side and you could still be considered like like you'd be considered like probably an eight by straight people standards you'd probably be about a five or a six in kind of the gay community oh my god yeah (laughs) it's bad yeah is there uh because i don't think we're gonna talk about it tonight um is there a higher and i should know but is there a higher rate of eating disorders among gay men or LGBTQ folks? I think so. Okay. I think so. There's, there's a lot of like body dysmorphia and whatnot. Um, yeah, that makes me so think so much pressure that, yeah. on the, on gay men to be ripped. Thin, and to, yeah. You know, or even thin, right? Like, yeah. Even if you don't have abs, there's kind of a, a either a spoken or unspoken rule to be incredibly thin. Yes, like unhealthily yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not really touched on in the articles, but it is something that exists in the community and it's something I think we really need to strive to change. We should strive mm-hmm. to be far more of a building long-term relationships rather than just setting up for hookups and pleasures of the flesh, I guess. <laughs> like we would want to be focusing more on... Um, All right, Father Viridian. <laughs> We should be focusing on building actual connections, not just, you know, quick one and done. Um, I smell an app development possibility. Maybe. <laughs> well, I probably don't have time to do it, but I'll, I'll look into to seeing if there are any available. Um, I think there are. I just don't think it's popular in the community. There's just not that culture there for it right now. And it's something I think Mm. as a community, we need to just be actively striving to change, which I hope will change when, like if we get more acceptance, 
I, and it reminds me of the last words of, and I can't remember the guy, but he was in the United States. He was like the first openly gay something like public Harvey, servant. Harvey Milk? Maybe. Oh. Uh, he, was there a movie made about him with Sean Penn? I'm not sure. There, oh, he okay. is known kind of most for his last words, which are, it was like a recording before, it was this recording of like, in the event that I get assassinated uh, and killed, because I believe he expected that would be a real possibility. In fact, I think he said when I get killed, like he knew he was going to be killed for being a, a very open gay man at the time. Um, yeah. He makes, basically makes this recording and then he gets murdered in an alley a few hours later. Oh um, yeah, but his last words are kind of like, in the event that I get killed, don't rise up, like, don't like riot, don't be mad. Instead, like the best thing we could do is just like everyone, if we could all like come out of the closet just to show people that we exist everywhere and that, you know, like we're here, we exist. And just, you know, if everyone came out of the closet kind of at once uh, with his death, there would be like, he in his opinion, that would have helped things immensely. And I do agree with that a lot. I think changing public perception is the most important to any social cause. Yeah. Uh, It was Harvey Milk, just so you know. Okay. So then him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it's the importance isn't necessarily on changing laws, but on, which is important. It is important to make sure that, you know, it's illegal to discriminate against people, but by changing the public's perception, um, then those laws become less and less required to be there. They're good to be there because there's always going to be those homophobic, those racist people, but you want to change the public's perception of you. So if you're constantly vilifying people who you want to be taking onto your side, then that's not helping. And it brings me to the whole like defund the police situation. Like they're quite literally throwing the babies out with the bathwater. Yeah, very off topic here. Um, No, no, hot topic, not off topic. topic. Okay, yeah. Um, Like people were, you know, defund the police, you know, these few bad apples, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah, um, you're throwing the babies, like the baby out with the bathwater. You're taking the entire thing, chucking it out just to get rid of, you know, something that's relatively easy to change. It's easy to change, you know, the dirty bathwater from a baby. You take the baby out, put them in a towel, then change the bathwater. Instead, you're just throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Very hot topic. <laughs> uh, Very anyway, don't get topic. canceled now. Um, oh my God. You might be on, on notice with Patty and Jew. <laughs> I'm probably on notice now. Um, <laughs> but like people were like rioting and rioting and rioting. And all they managed to do was piss people off. Like that's all they managed to do with the destruction yeah. and whatnot was piss other people off. Or I do agree. Any kind of police brutality is terrible, but to, accuse, to say police are an inherently, you know, racist and, you know, destructive system, I think is bad. Instead of defunding them, we should fund them to give them more training and whatnot. Well, I mean, in the words of the great NWA, f- the police, first of all, um, but also, yeah, I mean, you're not going to defund the police. The police aren't going anywhere. Just, It's no, just not going to happen like- realistically. So yeah, I think it's to everybody's benefit to figure something else out. Because I truly don't think as, as much as or as good or whatever as that might happen, I think that's a bit of a fantasy land that is not – it doesn't even have a toe in, in reality. So yeah. we have to – 
figure something else out. And yeah, people don't deserve to be killed by police, right? No, I mean, they don't. when they're not doing anything that would have that to happen. If you're attacking a police, if you're shooting a gun at a police, then yeah, I That's mean- That's very different because then suddenly they're acting in self-defense as opposed yeah. to any kind and, of like, offense. Don't shoot a gun at anybody if you don't want them to yeah. shoot back. Come on. <laughs> like it just reminds me of like- Police do. Don't shoot a gun yeah, at somebody. Don't shoot gonna shoot at someone back. unless like they're going to shoot back. And that again reminds me of like their no-knock raids where they just come in. Well, if someone barges into my house and I have a gun, I'm shooting at them. Yeah. I don't have a gun. But like, well, yeah, we're, if someone cool. barges in, I'm expecting it's more some kind of marauder, someone coming there to kill me. Marauder? Or, Whoa. Yes, marauder. I'm very what archaic. What an old-timey, what an old-timey word. <laughs> yes. I'm expecting it's more of a marauder, someone, you know, that's going to do me harm, mm. not the police. Do you right? have a map? Like, a marauder's map? Nailed <laughs> unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, No. Harry Potter reference. Oh, and now you're going to get canceled for that because J.K. Rowling is apparently the worst. I actually really dislike her for doing things like comparing transitioning to conversion therapy. You're taking what is the only uh, mental health treatment to um, dysphoria and you're equating it to a psychosexual torture. Yeah, she, oh God, she was riding high and then she did what she did so i mean and you don't even see like uh who was it who wrote the hunger games uh i can't remember yeah i'm gonna check that because you don't see i'm looking it up too (laughs) uh suzanne collins yeah you don't see suzanne collins like coming onto twitter and being like katniss had a kink like you don't see that (laughs) oh my god right like no she's incredibly successful Suze but, keeps it uh, close to the vest, yeah. Yeah. Like, she wrote, you know, an incredibly successful book series. And then, you know, she, you know, wrote that, that fame. And then, I don't know when she got to work on it, but she wrote, uh, wrote and released another book that talks about, like, that's all about kind of President Snow and his story. And I think that one's doing pretty well right now. I want to read that book. She doesn't like take these huge political standpoints. Like J.K. Rowling would like hound her beliefs constantly. Yeah. Like she's just, I disagree like very heavily with what she says. So (laughs) uh, way off topic there. Yeah. Let's get back to uh, gay men and drugs. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So one factor for the first factor is increased stress. The increased stress that gay men experience would be defined as a type of minority stress. The negative effects of stressful experience on individuals who are, me- who are members of a marginalized social group. This type of stress is associated with the prevailing notion that individuals who are not heterosexual are somehow immoral or undesirable as a result of their uh, sexual partner. It says choice and sexual partner, but like if you're gay, you don't choose that. You can choose who you have as a sexual partner, but not that you're into dudes. Yeah. Minority (laughs) stress can be open or quite subtle. It may even take numerous forms. And when it says subtle, this does not mean microaggressions. That's bullshit. (laughs) Uh, Workplace discrimination based on sexual preference is still an issue in the United States as perceived discrimination in the workplace is reported by a large percentage of gay men. This poses a real threat to the economic security of the person and then affects their ability to function on a daily basis. Such stress can lead to the turning to alcohol or drugs. 
So what this says, um, let's kind of say it in kind of a simple way, that it's the perceived, so whether or not there is workplace discrimination, the perceived workplace discrimination is what's doing the damage, not necessarily that there is workplace discrimination, although that can also do damage. For sure, because perception is reality. So if I'm perceiving that the whether it's it's based in reality or not, but if I'm perceiving that people don't like me or the world's out to get me, then you know how I'm thinking, how I'm behaving, how I react to that is going to be you know reflective of that, that feeling. So perception is kind of what matters. It doesn't always matter reality, right? In terms of like looking at how somebody feels and how they're going to react in a situation, it's ha- totally how they filter that perception. Yeah, uh, and then it mentions the next one is discrimination in housing is also high according to the self-reports of gay individuals this can lead to living quarters that may be unstable unsafe and can disrupt the family structure of the people involved now i believe in the united states it's still legal in like 20 some states to discriminate against people in housing based on sexuality i'm not entirely sure because i don't think they've adopted sexual orientation into their kind of national Uh, civil rights protections. Mm -hmm. I think they're trying to stop that on the basis of religious grounds. Bullshit. (laughs) Like, I mean, Jesus Christ, religious grounds. What are we doing? Yeah. So they can outwardly say, hey, I'm not going to rent you this housing because you're gay. Yep. Are they they afraid of like the great planters they're going to put outside or like I don't know. How it the could grass be is always going to be cut. The or... planters, the fact that they're, you know, generally nice people, you know, who knows? They wave. Uh, they bring up property value. I mean, they bring God, up property how, value. Dis- they tend to have I would more disposable income. Them. Honestly, I probably discriminate against straight people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'll wreck and things. The gays bring up property value. So I would be like, yeah, come bring all your friends. Yeah. Bring all your friends and come Bring, here. This like, will be the gay building. Yes. We will paint it rainbow if you want. It'd be so nice. And then issues uh, with the acceptance and recognition of same-sex relationships and of gay marriage continue to be an issue that can lead to distress for gay men. Moreover, in areas where individuals are denied the right to marry, this can lead to problems with benefits and health insurance. Um, discrimination in healthcare aimed at gay men can be subtle or can be quite forthright. Gay men are nearly twice as likely than heterosexual men to be without health care coverage. Moreover, discrimination against gay marriage or issues with providing health care benefits to the partners of gay men exacerbate the situation. And so then there are issues with the cultural competency of the healthcare system of just dealing with um, gay men and kind of like their culture and healthcare. but that's kind of its own thing that I'll, I'll get to in a minute. But like... I don't know if you've ever seen these, but there are some really cringeworthy ads that are like against gay marriage. So back before it was legalized, I guess, there were like some where like they would quite literally have a straight couple. And so there's this one I'm thinking of in particular and like this wife walks in, she's holding like this comically large plate. She walks (laughs) in with the plate in her hand and sees her husband like leaning against a door frame, his tie loosened, the top two buttons undone. And he just looks like they've lost their house and the bank is foreclosing on them. He's lost his job and his mother died. And she says, what's wrong? And he says, they're thinking of legalizing gay marriage. This woman, (laughs) I swear to God, 
And of course, the acting's horrendous, so it's comical to watch. But this woman looks like she's just being shot in the uterus. Oh, my God. I don't God. know why that specific body part, but that's what she looks like. And then, like, she drops the plate, and it shatters. And then the couple embraces, and they're like, I don't want to get a divorce. What? I don't want to marry a woman. And then the chi- their child comes in and is like, Mommy, Daddy... If gay marriage is legalized, will you still love me? And then the dad's <laughs> like, I sure hope so. Gee, and it's a real commercial? It's a real ad against gay marriage. From like a religious uh, yeah. thing? Yep. Wow. We'll oppose it. Like, What's, um, like imagine thinking that, yeah, gay people are allowed to get married. Imagine thinking that means they're outlawing straight marriage. That I mean, yeah, that's you put it in that place, right? Put it, jeez. Yeah. Oh, or I'm trying to remember. There was another one, and it's like this kid falls off of the play structure, and so there's so you know there's another kid there. So they both. So I guess it's two boys who fall off, and they're crying. And so then the one boy's mom comes over, then looks at you know the other kid. And who's just sitting on the ground. He's not crying. He doesn't even look like he has any issue going on. Like he just looks perfectly content. And then two people walk up behind him. And you can't tell like what gender they are. It's implied that they're men because they're both wearing shorts. But it very easily could be a like a Southern woman. Like, you know, those trashy Southern Karens who wear those really ugly sandals. Yes. Yep. It very easily could have been one of those. <laughs> but it's implied to be, you know, marriage should be between a man and a woman. And I'm like, what? These are like two, like, I can't even express how stupid it is. I'm like, okay, first of yeah. all, marriage has nothing West- to do with having kids. Because newsflash, gay people can't procreate easily. <laughs> like, no, and- they don't naturally occur when they have sex. <laughs> Yeah, you can. You make that uh, very clear. No, yes. but what they like? Guess what they do? Do they adopt the yeah. millions of kids who are in foster care? Yeah, and I mean, this is very Westboro Baptist Church. It is all of this. Yeah, Ugh. and it's and- always, by the way, it's always the people who are like super passionately, angrily against something, like you know, like the the. The, like that um, EU conservative parliamentary pastors. guy who was very anti-gay who was recently caught at a 25-man orgy. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I mean. It's always like, oh, you know, kill all the gay men, da 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 And it's like, oh, so we find you in a hotel room with copious amounts of meth and, uh, like, male, male sex workers. Yeah. So, like, don't be so passionately against something yeah. because that means you more than likely, when you're angrily against something – um, that means you're for it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like you're actually and into that thing. Luckily, you hate here in Canada, uh, this is kind of just on the touching of the Westboro Baptist Church. Members of the Westboro Baptist Church are not legally allowed to come to Canada. No, they, well, y- they can come here, but they can't, I believe they can come here, but they can't come here and do their stupid protests. I don't even think they're legally allowed in Canada. Like they're banned from crossing the border, I think. Um, oh, I remember okay. reading about that a couple of years ago, just like they're, they're legally not allowed to enter Canada because they're considered to be like this extreme hate group. Hate group. 
Okay. Um, and so they're just not allowed in Canada because they aren't going to be anything productive. And that's not the type of thing that yeah. we want in Canada. We should do a whole episode on. Oh West my God. Bible I totally Church. could. Yeah. Um, especially the house next to them. With the God rainbow. Bless their souls. Yes. They like paint their house rainbow. They have a car and I don't like the name of the car because it uses the F slur, which I won't say because it refers to how gay men would be lynched uh, and burned in carpets. Like they would be they well, I don't know if it's... rolled up in carpets and then burned alive. And so they looked it's... like cigarettes and then the F slur used to be a term for cigarettes. So, But also let's just say it's not worse because... Uh, black people <laughs> were yes, but, like they had some pretty yes. um, awful things happen to them. So on the scale of shitty things happening to people unjustly, you know, oh, I'm not both, saying both that groups by had any that. Means. Yeah. I'm just saying the origin of the slur, if that makes sense, probably doesn't. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I mean, now you're canceled twice. Well, yeah, yeah. I've been canceled twice. So I guess I'm back on top. Let's go for a hat trick. <laughs> Let's cancel me three times. <laughs> okay, three times in one episode. Yes. All right, so on to the cultural competency in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so gay men can feel can be less likely to seek out healthcare and support because they may feel that they will be discriminated against by the healthcare worker. Let me just say, if you are a healthcare worker and you judge people for any reason, you're doing your job wrong and you should have your licenses revoked. Yes. Because like, you're not allowed to do that. The job of a healthcare worker is to not judge. Same, like it's the reason that there is such client confidentiality that if you're doing illegal drugs, you disclose that to your doctor because they're legally not allowed to tell anyone. Right. right. I don't even know if like, judges can submit warrants to get like that type of medical information because it is like legally protected like well yeah because things you can are be, in a vulnerable situation yeah things can be subpoenaed for sure but you you would then have to be likely charged with some kind of crime where that information is relevant to that so there's times where like if let's say somebody commits a crime and they say oh i was mentally unwell i was on you know substances um they could you know as a part of maybe that trial they could subpoena both the defense and the prosecution or the crown and the defense in canada um could could gain access to that information, but the doctor couldn't just willfully give that yeah, you know, no. away. It would have to definitely be subpoenaed or the person has to, you know, sign written consent yeah. in order to have that disclosed to another party. I don't know if you'd be able to be charged for that. Like, I don't think you can be charged if you have your medical information subpoenaed, like for the use or possession of those drugs. No, I uh, I mean, I guess I'm going to say no, like I'm a lawyer. I don't know, but I've, yeah. I've never known that to happen, but that would either like support or discredit, you know, either side of that, whatever the charge is. Yeah. I mean, so drugs, again, if we're wrong, tweet at be, me. Yeah. Drugs <laughs> shouldn't be illegal. No, they shouldn't. They it's should ridiculous. It's such a waste of money. It is. Like, the war on drugs doesn't work. FYI. No, and in fact, if you actually look at the war on drugs in the United States, it comes at a very racist, very racist roots. Yeah, yeah, because oh. white people aren't going to jail for weed. No. Yes, moving on, now that we've Fun. been canceled for a third time. Yep. See how many times you can do it in an episode. So Let's do it. 
Moving on to the marketing. So specific types of clubs or bars have been traditional meeting places for gay men to feel safe while socializing with others. In these locations, drinking and smoking remain acceptable and often popular. As a result, gay men will often associate socializing with others who share their sexual preference with drinking, smoking, or using other drugs. According to the American Cancer Society, tobacco companies traditionally advertise in magazines aimed at gay and transgender individuals. The use of advertising in other venues that are frequented by gay men for alcohol and tobacco has also been an issue of concern for this group. The experience of stress, perceived abuse, stereotyping, and targeted efforts of marketing directed at gay men may be exacerbated by potential issues with poverty and unemployment, sexual and physical assaults, bullying, especially among younger individuals, issues with potential homelessness, or feelings of insecurity when in one's dwelling, potential issues with suicidal thoughts and even suicide attempts. There is no simple solution to these issues. The National Association for Lesbian and Gay Addiction Professionals suggests that the use of public education, public awareness, and legislation are the keys to preventing the increased risk of substance abuse in gay individuals. This would include increased efforts by organizations like Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enact strategies to address the increased risk for substantial abuse amongst gay people, more efficient cultural competency training for medical professionals, the inclusion of gay and transgender cultural competence training, requirements by publicly funded treatment providers to make their services more acceptable, accessible to clients with diverse backgrounds. Targeted efforts to enroll more LGBT individuals in graduate training programs for substance abuse in the medical profession. The enactment of federal legislation to ensure that discrimination does not exist with regard to employment, housing, or healthcare access for any individual. The, literal, the literature suggests, as I drop my papers, that the increase in substance abuse in individuals who are not heterosexual in their orientation compared to heterosexual individuals is primarily the result of environmental factors that can be addressed by society. There is no reason to believe that the increase in substance abuse that occurs among LGBT individuals is due to any type of specific genetic factor. Therefore, the increased risk of these individuals to develop substance abuse issues can be addressed and minimized with proper steps by federal, state, and local governments. Treatment providers who address these issues in the LGBTQ community should have specialized training and cultural competence regarding this group, should be trained in techniques, interventions that are best suited for this group, should encourage open and honest discussions regarding these issues with their clients, would be expected to be open advocates for LGBT individuals and their rights. This one, this point here, I'm kind of like, yes and no because everyone should advocate that everyone has equal rights, but I don't believe in forcing people to express certain political opinions uh, for any reason. No. Because then that creates wrong think and is, as John Mulaney says, Nazi (laughs) (laughs) I I love that quote. Like whenever I see stuff, like they're making a list of Trump supporters, I'm like, that's Nazi That's Nazi you're making a list of political dissidents that's what you're doing that's what the nazis did i know i'm in not that i'm comparing anything like that like we're nowhere near that type of scale but it is very much what those authoritarian governments with wrong think do yeah yeah i just don't like keeping a list of people i just find that's uh yeah i know i i'm in i'm in a lot of subgroups from a a podcast and I like moderate some of them. Yeah. 
And there's sort of a collective of all the moderators in this, this one group. And they, there's a tendency to kind of, and listen, some people are problematic and I get wanting them out of the group and they're kind of like what, what a comedian said once they're the, the turd in a punch bowl. You could have this great, beautiful, delicious, you know, bowl of punch and you put one turd in it and it ruins the whole bowl of punch, which is such a great, uh, metaphor or analogy or whatever i need to learn the difference between those two yeah yeah so but what they do is they'll you know if somebody is like they say anything pro-trump or if and trump is an idiot you know and i don't want to go off on like a, a trump like tangent i'm not a trump supporter by any means but i also think like people can have their opinion and that doesn't mean that they're bad people, you know, maybe they're misguided, maybe, you know, maybe they or haven't maybe they experienced have different priorities, like totally, totally. To have different priorities. And I, and people can hold like, anyway, the, the point of this is, is this, this group of people has started to collect names and create an Excel spreadsheet. And I'm like, this is Nazi shit. Like, why yeah. are we in a very kind of uh, mild way? Totally. It's a fucking Facebook group. I I totally get that. But it's like, do you not kind of take a step back and reflect like, oh, we're collecting names and putting them on a list and telling everybody in this community that these people are quote unquote bad. And, and, and people will just kick them out of dissidents. They're the, what is it? They're the undesirables. Uh, Yeah. So they'll like, and kind of on that kind of making a list that reminds me of, and I feel really bad. I can't remember the guy's name, so I'm going to find it. But there was this gay man back in the 1900s who like 1940s. And he was part of the bombing of the Dutch here. I'll find it. And then I'll tell the story so I can kind of tell it in a nice cohesive way. Okay. Um, so I can't find the guy's name, but he took bombing. He took part in the bombing of, I think it was the Dutch records back in the 1940s. So he was then, Mm -hmm. basically he did this in an effort to protect the Jewish people who were living there. It might've been the Polish one. Anyway, so he bombed this city archive to basically protect the Jewish citizens so that their names couldn't basically be found and put on a list type of thing. Um, And so he was then captured by the Nazis and he was executed. And his last words were, let it never be known that homosexuals are cowards. So powerful (laughs) last words. Um, Yeah. Basically, don't fuck with the gays. Uh, Right. Also in that time period, there was Alan Turing, who is arguably the reason the Allied forces won the Second World War, because he was able to- you're already smarter than me. (laughs) He was able to crack the U-boat, um, no, not the U-boat codes, but the Nazis had developed this really complicated coding system. Uh, Alan oh, Turing figured yeah. out how to crack it, and he's considered the father of modern computer science. What do they call him? Like the 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 wind something or the? I'm not the sure. I, I know they call him the the father of modern computer science. That's uh, what no, I. No, I think he had like a nickname. I think there was a movie about him. Maybe there probably could... is. Um, but he, after the war, uh, so he was gay and he was arrested, uh, for public indecency, gross indecency, whatever the charge was. Basically he was at the time it was illegal to be gay and he was sentenced to, I forget what it was, 
I think he was given a choice of death or chemical castration. He oh opted God. for chemical castration. Jesus Christ. Uh, he then committed suicide a few years later. So they killed the father of modern computer science because he was into dudes. Like, the f- Yeah. Although I'm, I'm trying not to swear, but like, I, I, there's not really a better way to express it. Some fuck right there. So anyway, moving on on that really somber note. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> Very somber note. But yeah, it just, and it's not something that's ever talked about when he played this major part in the Second World War. Like when I took my, my history class and World War II was a huge unit, he had this, so I took it online, but it, he had this small little blurb. He didn't have, even have a, like a page, so a lesson to himself. He was a small little blurb, which I think is atrocious because there would not have been a victory had it not been for him. Like he was so good at cracking the code. Like he developed to the point that they could crack it so good that they had to pretend they couldn't crack it sometimes so that the Axis powers wouldn't think that the Allied forces had actually cracked the code. Oh, it had to be a little hard to get. Yeah, like they had to, basically they had to lose some battles so that they could win the war so that the Nazis wouldn't catch on. That is, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Over indecency, yeah. Oh, God. All right. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. So there's a small paragraph in it that I feel has some good statistics to mention. Okay. Other than that... Um, is this the CDC one? No, this is from the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation. Um, so there's a small paragraph on substance abuse factors among LGBTQ individuals. Uh, and then I'll kind of mention what they find for the treatment outcomes. So you mentioned that LGBTQ patients are less likely to seek out aid uh, and that treatment outcomes are essentially even once if there is a specific section or part of the program specifically for LGBT individuals, Mm -hmm. just because they feel more accepted and whatnot, which when dealing with mental health leads to far, far better outcomes. Right. So I'll read the little substance abuse factors paragraph and then there's a small few sentences um i want to read just kind of how up america is (laughs) okay let's keep it on brand yeah yeah so substance abuse factors among lgbtq individuals transgender men and women are more than twice as likely to have diagnosis of mental illness as cisgender men or women a 2014 study of lgbtq individuals seeking treatment at the hazel then Betty Ford Foundation found that 92% of LGBTQ patients were diagnosed with a core occurring axis one disorder. So I don't know what that is. Do you? An axis one disorder? Yes. Yeah. So they are, so axis one is um, terminology that they use from the old DSM. So the DSM is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Um, and we're currently, as of 2013, and but obviously now in 2020, we're on the DSM-5. So there's been, you know, f- f- more than that before it because they'll do like a, what's called a TR, a text revision. So prior to the 5, we had the DSM-4-TR text revision. And I think that came out in 2000. And they broke up all the different disorders that it discussed into um, different axes. So there's axis one, two, three, four, and five. And I believe axis one, and it's been a while because we've been in five. So I think axis one was like 
more like mood disorder. So anxiety disorder, panic, just like things like panic, social anxiety. Um, I think depression was on there. And then access to was for like personality disorders. Um, and then I think three was like medical conditions. Um, and four talked about, you know, what the environmental piece was like if they had housing, vocational um, pursuits. And then the, on access five in the DSM four was like a um, like global assessment or something. It was, or global assessment of functioning. And for, I think it was from zero to a hundred. They would kind of put in a number to say like all of things considered, here's how they're functioning. So if you got a 50, you're kind of working at about half capacity. Okay. So access one would be, yeah. So if you had like an anxiety disorder, it would be on access Okay. One. That, that makes sense yeah. given that the access one is found in 92% of LGBTQ patients seeking treatment for um, addictions compared to 78% of non-LGBTQ patients. Uh, mm -hmm. And further analysis showed that LGBTQ patients were significantly more likely to be diagnosed with depressive and anxiety disorders. These results were consistent with other studies that have determined that LGBTQ individuals are two to three times more likely than heterosexual individuals to report suicidal ideation or attempts. Wow. Yeah. So again, as I've said before, and I will continue to stress, if you're dealing with transgender individuals, use their proper pronouns, use their proper names. Don't dead name them ever. It's a real terrible thing to do. And it What's a dead be, name? So in, when someone comes out as trans, like their old name? change their name. Yes, yeah, so it's their old name. So a good example oh, of this okay. would be Elliot Page. So yeah. Ellen Page recently came out as transgender, and as non-binary, preferring Elliot. they, them, he, him pronouns. And so yeah. they changed their name to Elliot and now they're Elliot Page, formerly known as Ellen Page, but you wouldn't want to refer to them by their dead name because uh, that's really a terrible, awful thing to do. Which is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good like, Lord. And by the way, it doesn't mean that you can't, I don't think transgendered people are going to shit on you or hate you or if you're trying, I think yeah, that that's, that's the really all they're part. looking for. I mean, yeah, they want as opposed to, to just not trying and saying, hey, Ellen, that's another yeah, Malay. They, want you, to hey, just, they Ellen. want you to try. Like if you make a mistake, you know, correct yourself or you say it. And then if you don't know, then they, they do need to tell you to correct you or else it's you don't know. Yeah. You're not intentionally causing harm. I think that that's important to know. I think yeah. among kind of straight people, there's like, oh, I don't want to offend. And so I don't. And then they get angry. And I think like the anger comes out of fear or the unknown. I don't think it's yeah. always just. So just, just do your best. You. And people who <laughs> like kind of have these freakouts about it, they're off and far between. Like they're few and far between. And the LGBTQ community like will likely on them too for being kind of like whoa um like i don't know if you know but there was this really famous freak out from a trans woman at eb games so both yes. parties are kind of at fault i for saw this. that so it was like the she checked out and she was probably mid-50s probably just kind of starting her transition so she did right. very much appear like a man wearing a dress. Yeah. Which is fine. You don't have to be anywhere. Like you don't have to be so far no. like, female presenting to deserve the, you know, dignity and respect. But so no. the person at the counter um, who 
is a man said, you know, here you go, sir. And so then she freaked out and was kind of like, it's ma'am. But then the employee did a real, really terrible thing and said, I'm sorry, sir. And then like that really fueled the freak out. So I'm like, both sides are at fault. What she should have done is being like, oh, uh, it's ma'am, like calmly and respectfully. Yeah. And then just no, like that, walk out of the store. That but, bitch like, went crazy. should not yeah. have said sir. Like he says it three or four times. And it's just kind of like, well, now at this point, you're purposefully misgendering her. Yeah. That's a terrible thing to do. So I saw it is a terrible thing for to do. Either side, but I saw very few but, people coming out kind of on that nuanced perspective of they're both kind of at fault. She overreacted and he kept refusing to use the proper but didn't, terms. But didn't he eventually, didn't he eventually change though? I feel like he did. And then he she just have, was like, I'm not go. Sure. I, yeah, I, don't I think feel he did. Because I remember listen, watching that only... and being like, oh, this guy's at fault too. Yeah, I think that he – but then I feel like he did change it. Now, I don't know if that's when cell phones started to come out and it was being recorded or whatever. But, you know, she was also – and I get it. She was upset from what yeah. happened. But you can't freak out on people like that. No. You can't. Like, and we, we live in a society you have to maintain at least, like, some modicum of dignity and being calm and composed in public. Yeah. And – Call head office then. Like, yeah. give it a Google, call head office, and make a complaint. Yeah, be like, this person, you know, misgendered me several times. I yeah. corrected them several times, and they continued to do so, and I would like to lodge a complaint. Yeah. yeah. So, in terms of fucked up things people do, um, so coming in, so there was a 2007 study. But, sorry, also, okay, EB yeah. Games is garbage. You can suck at yeah, EB they Games. Are. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, buy your games at Walmart, especially like if you're buying release date, buy them at Walmart because there's like maybe a line of like two people who pre-ordered the game ahead of you and that's it. Yeah. I remember I bought like, so I'm a huge, huge Pokemon nerd. So I remember back when like the first games on the 3DS came out and like there were huge lineups at like EB Games and people were like, like they were sold out and people were like, oh my God, how am I going to get one? And so I went to Walmart the morning it came out. It was like a Saturday or something. Uh, maybe it was a PD day on a Friday or something. I can't remember. But I went in. The store was virtually empty. <laughs> and like I walk up to the, to the counter and I let, there were some people who'd pre-ordered the game. So I, I let them go ahead of me just to, you know, if they pre-ordered it, whatever, they can get it first. But like there was a line of like six people who pre-ordered and the pre-orders were fast because they'd already paid. So they just like put their pre-order receipt and they were given the game. And then like, it took me maybe 10 minutes of standing in line and I had my game and there was like no one behind me. Oh, so if new games come out and you're looking to buy, go to Walmart. <laughs> so yeah, now don't of course, go to probably everyone's going to go to Walmart, but that's where I go to get all of my games now. Like that's where I went to get the next games that came out just because there's no one there on release stakes. No one thinks to go to Walmart or no one wants to buy from Walmart. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so- <laughs> Getting back on topic, Hot there was tip. a 2007 okay. study of substance abuse programs throughout the United States uh, and Puerto Rico and found that, oh, so of all the programs, and I'm not sure how many programs there were, 854 programs uh, said that they had a specialized treatment service for LGBT individuals. However, only 62 programs or 7.3% of that 854 confirmed during a telephone follow-up. 
So mm. this is worded really, really weird. And I kind of paraphrase it to make it easier to understand, uh, but I'll kind of do a quick explanation. So I'm not sure how many programs there were in total, but let's call it a thousand. Okay, let's be nice, round up this nice thousand. But of that thousand, 854 or about 85% said, again, this thousand is an entirely theoretical number. Tweet at me if you know the actual number that participated in the survey. Um, so 85% of the total said that they reported that they had specialized treatment. Now, only 62 of these you know, theoretical thousand reported having, like confirmed, were able to confirm they had these programs. So that is 0.6% of the total, wow. which is, or maybe it's 6% of the total. I just got to check. I'm sorry. I, when, it, when it scales to the thousand, yeah, it's 6.2% of the total. So that's pathetic. First of all, it's pathetic yeah. that there are that few programs, but it's also pathetic that I think it's like 792 or something like that, or yeah, 796, 792, said that they did when they didn't. Oh, so they lied. And there's no way that 792, nearly 800, like clicked that by accident. Like they straight up lied to make themselves look better. Wow. Gross. Yes. Very gross. And then at the bottom here, it says that treatment outcomes, there is, so the study it talks about there, it is in desperate need to be peer reviewed and replicated. Um, mm -hmm. But it does say that there is minimal evidence to suggest that there is any worse outcomes. Like the outcomes are essentially equal. Yeah. I mean, cause here's patients and straight patients. Here's the good news, uh, but it's also bad news. The treatment outcomes um, suck when it comes to substance use, and it, it's it's a, a chronically relapsing disorder, and that's I don't think going to change whether you're, you know, LGBTQ or not. It's a very shitty disorder to have, in that you know it it's oftentimes long-term and chronic with, you know, immense relapses that occur. There's, um, you know, stats, just looking at it kind of in everybody together, you know, the first three months, um, there's like an 80, depending on the, the study that you read, it's like 80 to 90% relapse rate. And then that goes up to 90 something within a year. So it's, the stats aren't great in that way. No. Yeah. But it is nice to know that despite the over-sexualized culture, it's not, you know, gay people aren't more likely to have that relapse. So it seems that with treatment, yeah. it, right? So, which is good. Because I, no, it's totally good. And, and, and the good news is, is that it all, like in my personal opinion, I'm not an expert in LGBTQ in general, or, you know, when it comes to, to treatment. So I'm not going to claim that, but I am somewhat of an expert. I mean, I, th I think I have enough knowledge around, you know, substance use and mental health that what it comes down to is, you know, having a concrete plan. Um, and if you don't have that, you're kind of like a deer in a headlights when anything comes up. And so that plan, what's good about that plan is it's individualized because what triggers one person to use is not necessarily going to be the same for the next person. So I see people who um, 
you know, their triggers say are anxiety and stress and anger and those kind of emotions where my very next client will say, you know, when I get really happy, I want to use. So there's, it's individual, the plan. So whether if you're an LGBTQ person, whatever your unique kind of set of triggers or high risk situations, whatever they are, you can develop a plan to cope with those or to face those and, and, and get through those. Um, just as the same as anybody else could. Okay. So that makes sense. yeah. So I just managed to Google it. So his name was Willem Arendus and he was a Dutch artist and author who joined the Dutch anti-Nazi resistance movement during world war II. He participated in the bombing of the Amsterdam public records office to hinder Nazi German effort to identify Dutch Jews and others wanted by, uh, by the Nazis. Uh, he was caught and executed soon after his arrest. Yeah, so he did have the, yeah, so his final words were, tell the people that homosexuals are not by definition weak. So powerful words uh, from really a true, true icon and hero. Uh, a true hero, like metal, like just, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, it, that, it really reminds me of the French soldiers cutting the elevator cables on the Eiffel Tower so that if the Nazis wanted to put their flag on the Eiffel Tower, they were going to have to climb the steps up the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) Suckers. Yeah, like (laughs) basically to, you know, preserve that symbol of the French people. I mean, like I've seen the Eiffel Tower in person. You would not be able to believe like how beautiful it is. Like pictures cannot do it justice. Like I remember, so we came out of the subway and we kind of walked around the corner from like the building it was behind and just, it was big and beautiful. Like I can't even describe how beautiful it was. Mm-hmm. Like just this steel tower was gorgeous. I took my breath away and wow. I still think about it. That's how but, I felt when I saw the Eiffel Tower in Las Vegas. <laughs> doesn't even <laughs> that compare. Been, that could have been the mojitos, who knows? <laughs> Probably the mojitos. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like it, it is beautiful and it is very like, it's a very symbolic um, monument. So, Mm -hmm. and fun fact about World War II, the Vimy Ridge Monument was one of the few World War I monuments Hitler liked and allowed to continue to exist because it didn't glorify war. (laughs) Not to like take a hot stance on something, but like Hitler. Hitler, yes. I, I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's a pretty wide, widely regarded, uh, accepted take. It's a hot, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, there are theories that Hitler was a homosexual. Just because he had, are, he had yeah. very effeminate handwriting. Um, he, like, he enjoyed, I think it was like cheer, cheerleading type stuff. So it's thought that he might've been. He was also into like a lot of occult stuff. Like he liked crystals and all that shit. Yeah. He, it's very possible. He was just like an insane wacko too, who had a feminine handwriting. <laughs> Could have been. So on that note, uh, we're going to end part one of the substance use, mental health and sexual health uh, in the gay community. Okay. Uh, so thank you for joining us, Cecile Mullaney. Thank you so much. 
Right. Do you want to give a little plug to your podcast? Oh, yes. Um, my podcast is called White Girl Haunted, uh, and it's available wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, all those things. And yeah, we have a little tiny backlog because we're not as up to date as we should be, but it's there. If you so wish to go and watch, we or listen rather, we talk about all things kind of spooky and I guess paranormal and I like true crime. So that's kind of my take on it. Um, yeah, I do it with my friend Bex. It's super fun. Have a listen if you're so inclined. So that concludes part one of our two part series on mental health and addictions in the gay community. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, if you want regular updates, follow us on Twitter at that gay capital T, lowercase h-a-t, capital G, lowercase a-y, capital S, lowercase h and t, and follow us on Instagram, thatgay.t, that gay, spelt normally, and then s-h period t. All right, I hope you enjoyed that one, and I'll, I'll catch you guys in the next episode.